friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Dear JCPS is a district-focused stakeholder advocacy group that demands accountability and transparency from JCPS through a lens of equity. Save Our Schools Kentucky is a statewide advocacy group that seeks to expose and prevent attempts to privatize our public schools, including charter schools and everything else from the ALEC playbook. Uh, we're going to get started with Tina Bojanowski in just a second. Um, we want her to talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with the Governor Bashir's powers and the lawsuit, if she's familiar with where that stands. Um, also, House Bill 258. We want, uh, we know it already passed the House. <laughs> so, and it kind of came out of the chute really suddenly. We, were, we weren't even aware that it had two readings previously. So when it went through committee and passed in the same day, that was a real shocker. And so we now know it goes to the Senate. So we're going to ask you to tell us, you know, any advice you have on how the teachers that don't want this bill to pass, what they can be doing. But also, um, I want you to hear from the, the teachers because uh, what we heard on the House floor yesterday, I mean, uh, Thursday, was that the union hadn't really had a chance to put it before its members. And so therefore, they were, uh, in, the endorsement was implied, but not uh, outright. And we're hearing from a lot of teachers that they don't want this bill. They want it to be stopped, that uh, the pension is a promise and we shouldn't be separating teachers. We shouldn't be cutting benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the teachers that are on this call, uh, I would like for you to hear from them so that you can take their message back because uh, what, what we're feeling is that there's not a, a true reflection of the rank and file perspective on this on this uh, fight right now. So that's on the agenda. Um, I'm hearing that there's no appetite for 149, but again, it could surprise us and, and come forward. Uh, if you could talk to us about Brianna's law, uh, and if there's anything about the tax increase that could put it in jeopardy. Um, I heard something about 100 signatures. There's a bill along those lines. Uh, is that the same or different than uh, any lawsuit challenges that might be in existence, you know, what could happen that could put that tax increase at risk, if you know. And then, do you know anything about the Superintendent Selection Committee? And then also provide us with updates on your, on bills that you've sponsored. So, um, I know I threw a whole lot out there at you, but I want to be able to just let you go and talk as long as you feel comfortable. Well, I thank you, Gay. I mean, there's so many people in this group I know very well. So um, I am Tina Bojanowski. I am state representative for District 32, and I am also an active teacher for JCPS. I teach special education at Watterson Elementary. Um, so that's kind of where I am. I'll start with um, just a uh, an introduction to a couple of pieces of legislation that I have filed, um, two specifically related to education. Um, I have the first one we've been working on, now this is the second year, and it's a joint resolution, it's House Joint Resolution 8, and really essentially it's to shift our accountability system from really just creating data for the state to doing something that would benefit um, students, parents, and teachers to be able to understand where their students are and drive instruction, which doesn't really happen right now with, with our K-PREP program. Um, let me, hold on a second. I'm looking at, 
All right, good, that's better. So I was looking at kind of a blank screen and I'd rather look at people. Um, so that's House Joint Resolution 8. We did get a hearing in committee and it passed out of committee um, last year and then COVID came, so nothing happened. Over the summer, we were also asked to present it to an interim committee, a joint committee meeting, and it was um, Senator Wise who requested that it be heard. And he really has a strong appetite for having this, this pass. Um, but as of yet, we have not, um, there was a change in our rules. And it used to be that when a bill was filed, they had up to five days to actually assign the bill to committee. And now it can linger in, so if you, if you know that um, the Schoolhouse Rock about it's only a bill and a bill dies in committee, well, our bills can actually die before they even make it to committee, just by simply not ever being assigned to committee. So that's where House Joint Resolution 8 is right now. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that it'll move. I, I do have support from Regina Huff. Um, but she hasn't been successful to, to get it sent to Education Committee at this point either. Um, some of the restrictions we have are that um, our, um, our um, committee meetings are limited to just an hour rather than the typical two hours. And they're really backing up on how many bills and which bills they hear in committees. So, I'm hoping for this House Joint Resolution 8 to go through because I know as a teacher, one, one of the main reasons that I wanted to run for a state level office is because how frustrated I am, you know, all the way going back to all the Diane Ravitch re research and information about our accountability system and how toxic it is um, for our students. So I'm hoping that one will move. The second one is, um, is a bill that I filed and Massey's the primary co-sponsor um, and it's House Bill 200 and it is to give educators or teachers a tax credit for out-of-pocket expenses for their Kentucky taxes um, of $250, which I know, you know, every teacher raise your hand, yes, you spend a lot more than that for your classroom annually. We do, yeah, exactly. We do um, get a federal deduction, but it's a deduction from your gross income, not a tax credit. So it really has a minimal impact on, on you know, reimbursing you for those expenses. And in every, every other profession, if you have a business expense, you, you get reimbursed for it or deducted. And so, um, I haven't really gotten any buzz that this is moving, um, but I'm working it. And if it doesn't do anything this year, I'll file it again and again and again every year I'm in. Because um, if nothing else, we need to acknowledge the investment that our teachers are putting into their classrooms from their own pockets. Um, does anybody have any questions about either of those? Okay. Uh, all right, so there's- Yeah, my hand was up, but you probably couldn't see it. Sorry, I couldn't get oh, to- Oh yeah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just curious about the 250 figure. It seems like, you know, the reality of you know, a thousand's not uh, out, of, out of practice for a lot of teachers. So why not 
why not like a thousand dollar tax credit as two fifty or where did you get two fifty? Um, well, I, I just borrowed that number from the federal, and I considered much more significant numbers, but I wanted to keep it at a point where I could get a Republican co-sponsor, and so I tried to be. I mean, if I would have done it just to make a message, I would have made it a huge amount, but, but I really have hope that it might go somewhere. So um, I wanted it to be reasonable so that I could have that re Republican co-sponsorship. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right, so a third thing that I've filed that even though it's not specifically education related, it is very much an important aspect in education. And that is, um, there's a friend of mine who has this organization that advocates for people with mental illnesses and training, and they have developed a mental health flag. And I'll show you here. So this is a mental health flag and it has very specific um, reasons for each of the colors on the flag, for the gradients, for how it's wrapping around and so forth. But, this mental health flag is a resolution and a bill. Um, the bill is HB 305 and the resolution is uh, HR 13. And really, you know, with our students, our teachers, everyone, we need to reduce the stigma and increase awareness of mental health issues. And so while it's not directly an education bill, I think it, it's Im important for all educators to not only have an awareness, but to have a situation where, um, you know, maybe it'll trigger someone bringing up a point and, and it might help someone survive a suicide attempt or something. So those are bills that I have um, filed rele relevant to kind of education issues. What's the number on the house bill, did you say again? Yes, the house bill number is 305. Thank you. Not sure if, you know, if 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 it was able to be run all the way through as a bill, then it would be like an official law. Um, if that doesn't happen, I have um, feedback from majority leadership that will run it as a resolution. It'll have to go through committee, but then it would just be saying the appetite of the house is that this is to be um, the mental health flag. So. Um, from what I understand, the Senate is not too keen on passing flag bills. So um, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, all right, so general updates. Well, we just went through with our caucus the orders of the day for what might be heard tomorrow. And there honestly was nothing that related to helping people in a pandemic. And that's just very frustrating. You know, uh, of course, all of the bills, each of you I'm sure is very familiar with each of the bills that passed and we tried to do a veto over, or we voted no for the veto overrides on them, but now they're law it, with the exception of, um, I think it was House Bill 1, was it House Bill 1 or Senate Bill 1 where the Supreme Court has put a stay on it for at least 30 days. So. We really haven't gotten any additional information other than what's in the press um, regarding the process of um, the, the legislation, the Supreme Court issues, um, the lawsuits on the governor's power. I mean, I see Ms. Anna White's is going to be on and she would definitely be the person to ask that question 
because I think she's more astute as far as um, those issues. So, I mean, it's frustrating to be in our seats because we have constituents um, and many, many people in the Commonwealth who are very concerned about what we are doing to continue to keep our, our citizens safe in a pandemic and besides saying that the governor doesn't talk to them on a regular basis and didn't talk to them and that's why they need to do this legislation, um, I haven't really seen anything concrete come through. There is a bill um, that's pending and I, I believe we're going to hear it in education committee tomorrow morning um, at 8 a.m. Um, that includes a lot of the KDE suggestions for what, what we should do um, for school systems um, because of COVID. And a part of that bill does say um, that the state could waive standardized or the end of year testing if we do get a federal waiver to do so. So I'm very hopeful for that. Um, I will know more about that bill before I go to sleep tonight. Um, but just be aware that it is, um, it is in process and likely, um, I can pull up our education agenda for tomorrow if you're interested in hearing what that might be. Um, all right, the pension bill, HB 258. So I happened to be in a meeting where Massey said he was doing these pension meetings, not official meetings, just bringing together all the K groups. And I said, may I join in? And so I had the opportunity at the end, I mean, the last several meetings before we started session in January, and then I've been in each of the meetings since then. And what it has done is it's given me the opportunity to um, really understand all of the aspects and pieces of this bill. Um, so if there are like specific questions, um, I know, you know, one of my main questions is to statement about we're continuing to, um, or we need to stop the bleeding. That's a statement we hear a lot, stop the bleeding. Excuse me. And so my question was, well, how much is our pension, um, responsibility going to increase and um, and why. And so there's a document that I'm happy to share that's from 2019 and it shows, um, I'll just show it in, in my video here. It shows that by 45 years after 19 that our pension um, liability would be 3.05 billion, I'm assuming, yes, um, 3.05 billion. But then in fiscal year 50, it goes down to 897 million. So it's a matter of, is the state willing to repay or not repay, but to contribute what they didn't contribute over the other years and to make up for um, assumption changes that led us to have these, these exceptionally high um, amounts that are actually due or 
you know, do they not want to do that and change? So um, the appetite in the majority party is that something has to change. That's, that's just where they are. Um, you know, my sense from this bill is that it is probably the best have to change bill that we will see. And not that I voted for it, I didn't, because I do fully agree that we need to stick with a defined benefit plan. Um, what I see coming on the horizon is bills that will be much less beneficial. You know, the very big difference between this one and the sewer bill is that this bill did not end, you know, our defined benefit program. All the contributions that go in this, with this bill would be in with the same system that our legacy plans are in and it would not completely destroy everything. So that's just a thought to remember. Um, the other piece, one part is, you know, even though there would be an additional payment, um, I estimated mine if at my income level with my number of years, if I were in a new tier um, would be about $50 a paycheck. I have a PhD, so my, my salary is a bit higher probably than the average you have my number of years, but, but that's kind of an estimate. Um, for some educators like me as a second career teacher, it actually would have higher benefits if, and here's the big if, if the supplementary part of the plan stays fully funded. And here's, here's what really frustrated me on the last day of the last meeting we had. Um, we had been um, all along the way um, and in a KEA meeting, um, we had a lot of conversations about if teachers were taking all of the risks of this new plan, shouldn't they allow, be allowed to have the reward if the new plan overperforms. So you would, you would assume you're taking the risks, you should have the right to have some benefit if things go really well. Um, and until the last night, and this was, um, we understood or I understood that there's the, um, there's the, the defined benefit pension aspect, there's the supplementary kind of 401k-ish portion. And then there is what they called the um, stabilization reserve account. And the stabilization reserve account is where additional funds would go and they would pull from that if they needed to supplement any shortages or if there's a market downturn or if there are assumption changes. So they could pull from that fund into those areas. And then theoretically, they could pull from that fund if everything's covered and things are going well to increase the benefits for the new hires. But what we learned the night before the bill was um, heard was that that money was also going to be allowed to go to pay off legacy debt. So the money from the new tier could be taken to pay off legacy debt. Well, so my statement on the floor really was, you know, 
what is the likelihood, if that's the possibility, that the, that the new hires would see any part of that as additional benefits? So, um, so that being said, all in all, I did vote no. Um, it's going to the Senate. The thoughts that I hear are that the Senate is going to completely change it because Damon Thayer doesn't want to have anything to do with defined benefit plans and that conceivably when it comes back to the house we we won't we won't do it so um famous last words of mice and men right so i don't trust the majority party they're in power they have a lot of power they're going to do whatever they want to do um no matter what we do no matter what we do if there were thousands of us up there i think they would still do the very same thing that they want to do um so we really are um in a position where we definitely need to make our voices heard but we also need to realize that that they have that power and um they're more than willing to use it so my hope is that the plan that comes back to this from the Senate is not something that a su sufficient number of Republicans want to have passed and, and we can just, it'll just drop for the year. That's my hope. All right, Greg, do you have a question on this? No, and I was just typing it in the chat too, but uh, is the general public able to, to, to view the education committee uh, meeting tomorrow at 8 a.m. that you mentioned? Yes, absolutely. It'll live stream on, on KET. I would, I would assume, I don't know how many meetings are on, but I would assume education will be, because they have two portals. So um, I would assume that it could live screen, stream, but I don't know what their specific schedule is. Okay. So, you know, for us, really wanting to ensure that if any pension legislation goes through, having a representative who's willing to listen and hear from um, relevant groups is really important. Um, that didn't happen with the sewer pension bill. Um, the, the thoughts about it going through real quickly. So even up to the night the day before it was heard in committee, um, KEA had no idea that it was going to not be for discussion only and that it was going to be up for a vote. And that only kind of came to us late in the day. So they, they may have had a chance to gather and discuss it. It was filed on January 12th, um, but they had not. Um, I understand really, you know, taking a vote of what their position is on it. Um, I felt like if, if you watched the committee meeting, I felt like Eddie did a really good job of really sharing the voices of educators as far as um, the desire to stay in defined benefit plans. Um, I can't really remember exactly what else he said, but it was, you know, it was not in support of the bill. So so um, 
so yeah, so the fact that it was heard in committee and then on the same day passed out of the house is just frustrating as far as allowing the public to really have a voice in legislation. Um, and that once again goes back to the power. They are in the power. They can do whatever they need to do. Um, the kind of word was that they wanted to get it over to the Senate, um, but I don't think that excuses not allowing the public to have a chance to have a voice on, on what's happening. So it's very infuriating to me. Um, okay, so. So it sounds like that really they're not listening to their constituents as it always, as they always do, you know. So. I, would, I would agree, you know, they're, they're not listening to the teachers. They're, they might be listening to the constituents who have the same um, lens that they do in that we need to protect, um, we need to be responsible with taxpayer money is sometimes what they'll say. And, you know, continuing to, as they say, um, um, not stop the bleeding is not fiscal, um, you know, conservative fiscal policy. So they may use another word, but yeah, it's really frustrating. Um, okay, I'll move on. One moment here. I will move on to House Bill 149. The very exciting news that I saw today, because House has made it through that first step and has been assigned to ANR committee. Um, as of when someone tweeted it, it has it is not on the agenda for ANR tomorrow, which puts it off for another week if it's going to happen. Um, there are a lot of co-sponsors on that bill, um, including Representative Banta, who is a very strong public education um, supporter, um, but she was um, appreciative that the bill included benefits for public school students, which I believe and, and I'm, I'm reading it and studying it and asking questions, but I believe that the private school proponents are gonna have their lobbyists create these grant giving organizations and recruit the money from the businesses for their grant giving organizations and only um, offer those grants, which I think they are allowed to do to private and parochial school students and that it'll be very difficult, especially for our kids who need it the most, if they need like support with paying for AP testing or something like that, to go through the logistics of applying and getting something. I, ju I just don't think it's going to benefit our public school students. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's no appetite. Um, Gay has on the agenda, there's no appetite. Um, I think there's an appetite, and I think, I mean, even Osborne, I believe, has co-sponsored the bill. Um, there are 23 co-sponsors, the last I heard, where when it was only a private school bill, it only had maybe four. I mean, uh, last year, very many. Um, I have a very real fear that this one would go through. Um, there's one aspect, and I do have a floor amendment ready to file, um, 
so we have, as far as tax expenditures, and so that's like tax credits of any kind, we offer like 7.4 billion in tax expenditures statewide. And there is no vehicle to analyze those to maintain that they're still, um, um, a payoff. I mean, there's a cost there. There should be a benefit to the state for offering tax expenditures. Um, and I filed um, as a part of the women's um, maternal and youth care um, legislation that the, the Women's Dem Caucus filed. I filed a bill to not tax breastfeeding um, supplies, so like a, a pump or breast, you know, nursing bras, that sort of thing. And when I got the bill back, it had an ending date, um, which we call a sunset. And so I asked the bill drafter, why does this bill have a sunset? And he said, well, you know, the rumor is, don't quote me on what he said, um, but, you know, ANR is not likely to hear a tax expenditure bill without a sunset. However, H bill, HB 149 does not have a sunset. And the amount of money, are you, are you all familiar with how much it could end up costing the state? Kentucky Center for Economic Policy did a real good um, um, article about this. So I'd, I'd suggest you look it up on House Bill 149. Year one, the budget is $25 million. Um, but it increases if, if, the, if the scholarship granting organizations offer $25 million in grants, the, the amount can go up by a certain percentage each year. By year 10, it could be $186 million. And by year 20, it could be $1.7 billion. $1.7 billion of taxpayer money, because these are taxes owed by, so how it works is a corporation or an individual can donate up to $1 million to these tax granting organizations, and they get a direct tax credit for that money. So instead of the money going into the general fund, it goes into these um, um, scholarship granting organizations, which beyond the um, oversight of the legislation have no, you know, the public has no input into what's being done with that money. Um, you know, they can't go like buy a farm or something, but you know, the, it, it doesn't restrict which programs, it doesn't restrict the fact that these programs that they might give scholarship money to could be discriminatory, they could not allow students who, with disabilities, they could not allow LGBTQ students. Um, there, there are no, um, they may possibly even have teachers who aren't certified. You know, the, so this is, this is taking public control away from a large chunk of money. This tax expenditure would be the largest, um, I believe, in the state. So, um, so you know, the question I have is, and I, I've had multiple, I have a lot of constituents in private schools, parochial schools, and I did hear from one and he said, you know, with the education budget, this is just a drop in the bucket. 
But I ask, you know, we're, we're not flush with money in the education budget. We haven't had textbooks sponsored. You know, there are all kinds of part in teacher raises. There are no teacher raises. Um, we are not fully funding public education in Kentucky. And the fact that they would take this money, um, it's, it's, it's really, it's a voucher in disguise because vouchers are not legal. So, um, so it's just that this is what I am, I'm, I'm much less worried about the Senate bringing back a pension bill that the House approves because I think it, the Senate's going to destroy it. I am much more concerned about 149 actually passing as far as between, between those bills. Um, um, any other questions about 149? So yes, the good news is that it is not on the ANR agenda and it has not had any readings. So bills have to have three readings. H Bill 149 has not had any readings. So that doesn't mean that they can't do it in a hurry, but, um, but that's the situation on that one. You are listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. I'm Gay Adelman, and you are listening to a replay of the Coalition for the People's Agenda Education Committee meeting that took place on February 8th, 2021. Our guest was Tina Bojanowski, Kentucky House Rep, and we are discussing legislation as it is moving through the 2021 General Assembly. Brianna's Law, I have not heard any, um, have not heard any feedback that, that that is moving, nor that I know that there was, um, I don't know if they actually filed or if they were just drafting a bill in the Senate. Um, I know that Rep. Scott has spoken to President Stivers several times, um, but I have not gotten any feedback that that's going anywhere at this point. Um, all right, tax increase in jeopardy. All right, from what I understand, so Representative Bratcher filed a bill and I, I got, you know, maybe 25 phone calls from people who want his bill to pass. And what that would do is it would change the number of signatures for a recall notice um, and what would happen with the recall, and I'm not sure if notice is the right word, but to recall um, a tax increase by the school board, it would require a certain number of signatures like we had happen for it to become something on our next um, ballot, and then we vote for it as a state. His bill would reduce the number of signatures to 100 signatures. Um, basically, there are so many people who have supported this um, because I guess they don't want JCPS to increase taxes because uh, there's so much rhetoric I hear, you know, JCPS is failing and they have so much money, yada, 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 you've heard it all. Um, it's infuriating, but that's, I think, the, the um, sort of the, the appetite and the perception of so many people. And if we didn't have busing, then we'd save so much money and on and on. Um, I have not heard anything about this bill moving. So it may be a non-issue. Um, 
I don't think it would do anything to impact our current tax increase because that petition has already, you know, it's, I think that they are um, appealing it, but it would not change um, the current tax increase, I don't think, unless they could file another petition. And then the other question would be whether or not it has an emergency order. Um, there's lots of conversation about it. Someone must be lobbying for it. Um, but I have not heard any insight in if it is going to, um, yeah, exactly. I have not heard any insight as to whether it's going to move. I've got a question. Can you yes, hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is a, about the uh, sort of general pr process uh, of dealing with uh, the majority party. Right. Uh, that is, for instance, uh, I don't see, I don't know how to describe it in a way that folks can understand. I don't see the, the Democrats uh, having, the minority party having any kind of offensive attitude. I see the Democrats kind of on defense. Uh, the only offense I see is, and I hate to use sporting terminology because a lot of people don't like it, but uh, the only uh, 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 aggression I see is sort of the uh, the sort of counter impeachments of uh, go forth and the attorney general. Uh, and the attorney general, in my opinion, definitely deserves to be impeached. Uh, uh, but. Uh, that's the only sort of, and that's sort of counterpunching. That is the Republicans right. sort of came out of nowhere with the, uh, the impeachment of Bashir. And so somebody is counterpunching. Uh, right. uh, so it's not real offense. So uh, I would like to hear, for instance, uh, as far as the, the bill that passed, I think it was House Bill 3 that, that, that shifts the power uh, away from Franklin Circuit Court to deal with right. uh, uh, concerning Frankfurt, is anyone filing suit uh, to block that particular law from taking place? And if not, why not? Um, I'm not aware. So um, I'm, I'm well, not aware. Not. And right. so in general, is there good communication between the governor's office and the, min uh, the minority party le leadership on one, how to protect the governor's power and how to be effective in this particular situation that the minority power is in? Is there good communication in your opinion? Is there a good strategy? It uh, is somebody sitting down saying, hey, we gotta have a strategy, we gotta have a plan. Uh, right, um, as a caucus, we, we try to do that. Um, I'm not aware of um, feedback from the governor's office. Periodically, they share with us um, some issues or statements that are important to them. But as far as guiding our strategy, I don't really see that we've um, uh, 
gotten a lot of that is more of an internal drive. And I'll, I'll tell you kind of one thing that is exactly to your question that we've tried to do is, you know, to try to drive the narrative. Um, we, that's why the Women's Caucus filed um, the, we had a press conference last Tuesday and we filed, I think, 31 bills in support of women and maternal, or women um, and child health. And trying to really change the conversation from just reacting to what bad things they're doing and then um, into here are the really good things that we need to be doing um, for pregnant mothers, for the discrepancies and disparities in maternal health between different communities, um, all uh, mental health issues. Um, so really trying to um, change the narrative by putting together and publishing as, you know, releasing as a group um, these bills um, that exactly speaks to your question of what are we doing, you know, to really be on that offensive as opposed to being on the defense. Um, what is struggling is, is a big struggle is that with, with the numbers, um, we are very much on a defense when it comes to making decisions about what bills are heard and, um, you know, and, and what bills are passed. And sometimes our only avenue of regress is to stand on the floor and very publicly call them out on what are very bad bills. Um, the second piece that we do and try to do is to generate community um, understanding and feedback about it. You know, the community can drive decisions, but sometimes it ends up being, how can we convince them to vote for other representatives? And, and that's a very difficult thing. So. Yes, I very much see um, your concern about being on the defense. As far as the governor's um, impeachment issues, um, we really, I mean, I don't know that KDP as a party, um, what, what they have done, but as a caucus, we really haven't, um, uh, what we have to be careful of is making statements that would then lead us to, to potentially, uh, you know, not having votes counted if there is a vote to impeach him. So that that is one caution that we have. Um, but really, it's ridiculous what they're doing. It's obnoxious. It's horrible. Most of the discussions are in closed rooms. So besides the members on that committee, um, there are four Republicans and three Democrats. So, um, and you know, a couple of um, alternates. So the members on that committee um, don't really, they cannot say what's going on. So we really don't have any insight if we aren't on the committee. Well, that's a legitimate concern. I think we don't, definitely don't want any of you guys. I think only 25 of you, right? So we don't have one yeah. of you guys to have to recuse yourself. Oh, exactly. Hi, I'm Randy. Hi. Yes. I just wanted to express a few thoughts about the um, 
pension swindle that's being attempted once again by uh, Jerry Miller and C. Ed Massey. Jerry Miller, as you well know, pushed through that sewer bill dark in the dark of the night. He's now attempting to do the same thing. And I don't think that he quite realizes there are among us many teachers who will not be bullied. And that's what these Republicans are attempting to do. And I think they underestimate the power of angry teachers. We instituted sick outs in 2018, and they had to back down from that shenanigan that Jerry tried to push through. When Miller was promoting this Bill 258 back in the spring, I said, this time, Jerry, you should include people that are a little bit beyond the limits of uh, JCTA, which is the largest teacher union, one of the largest unions in the state, because there are some other voices here that need to be heard. Needless to say, he disregarded that, did not include us, and we are not being well represented by our union, which is JCTA. And I think that the legislators, such as perhaps you and Morgan McGarvey need to understand that there are those among us who value education in spite of the perceived power that this Republican supermajority believes that it has. Mm -hmm. We are willing to stand up and stand firm to protect education. We're not in favor of 258 and this divide and conquer approach, which cuts off new hires and the commingling of funds under the TRS board with overage supposedly then going to pay the benefits or the legacy debt of TRS is simply a shell game. They're trying to hoodwink us. And if they weren't trying to hoodwink us, they wouldn't be in such a hurry to push this bill through and to push this bill through during a pandemic. Why is it so crucial right now We have a virus that is changing mutations. We're being pushed back into the classrooms. I'm repeatedly receiving emails questioning my uh, um, health conditions, my age, all of these things are of greater concern than fleecing the teachers right now with this so-called stop the bleeding euphemism. It is not gonna stop the bleeding. If they want to stop the bleeding, put the missing ARC money back and don't create two tiers because what this does is cut off the new funding. And I don't buy the argument that it's all under the TRS board. I've been to those TRS board meetings and most of those people don't have a clue about finance. It's Gary Harbin who calls the shots and unfortunately for us, the teachers in Jefferson County have been saddled with the same milquetoast leader for 21 years, the same leadership who eliminated term limits. We cannot get new blood in there. We cannot get a leader who will stand up for us. Our pension has declined from 93% funding, which is considered solvent, down to the 2017 Kavanaugh analysis, which put us at 35% all under the same leader. Right. If you know me, if you've seen the pension gamble, 
you know that I'm a firebrand and I am not willing to accept this 258. And I'm hoping that even though you're in the, major in the minority, that you can stand up to these bullies and represent us. Our union certainly isn't right now. They say they're simply tracking the bill. Goodness gracious, Brent McKim helped craft it. How can he now say that he's not for it? So this is total disrespect for education. I have spent most of my life in education. I have a PhD. I have a master's from the London School of Economics. I know something about numbers. And I know that this is another attempt to fleece teachers. It's bad for the profession. It's bad for education. I agree. And, you know, if they think they're going to bully us again, I think they're making a mistake. Well, we've got to stop the bleeding. That is total BS. The bleeding began in 2004 under Ernie Fletcher when the Republicans held the Senate and they began to underfund the ARC. All they have to do is adhere to the actuarial analyses that they pay fifty dollars to $80,000 a year for. Otherwise, if they ignore them, we're going to be downgraded again by Moody's and S&P and Fitch. But they see what the numbers are and they say to Kentucky, we don't buy it. We're going to downgrade you again. So next time you want to have a public works project, you're going to have to pay a sky high interest rate to get anybody to buy your bonds. Right. So a few of us understand this, but we're not being represented at the table. And Jerry Miller simply trying to railroad this through because they so-called have the power. I don't buy it. There are an awful lot of teachers in this state. And I think if they were informed, they would stand up again as they did in 2018 and rally on the steps in the middle of a pandemic, for goodness sakes. That's cruel. They think we're hogtied here because we're on virtual school. No, we can go to Frankfurt. We can drive down there. We can turn off our computers. Imagine the chaos if the teachers simply turned off their virtual connection to the students for a day, a virtual sick out. You know, and here I've been fighting for the last almost eight years to do something to save this pension. And I can't even sit at the table with Jerry Miller and say, look, Jerry, you've got to come up with a different solution rather than chopping the pension in half and then labeling it legacy debt, which can then conveniently be pushed onto the localities, which can declare bankruptcy since right. the state cannot. That's their ultimate plan. We see through that. After all of this time, we're still having to fight the same battle because they don't want to cough up the money that they didn't put in that was originally earmarked for the ARC. And that's it. As I wrote in my tweet to you a minute ago, it's like murdering your parents and then throwing yourself on the mercy of the court because you're an orphan. That's what they're telling us. Oh, we don't have the money. Well, you don't have the money because you spent it on other projects. Right. Defined benefit plans can work if they are honestly funded, and they have not been since 2004. Okay. Absolutely. And I want, I want Tina to be able to hear from the other teachers on the call, too, because uh, there was an indication or implication that uh, because the, the leaders had helped craft this bill, that the members, you know, it was an implied endorsement. And 
we just came off the election where members are trying to take the reins and do something to fight back. And you've got several members on the call right now who ran for office, but were shut out at every opportunity other than Kenyatta and Tyra. Tyra uh, re-won her seat for secretary. Congratulations, Tyra, by the way. Thank you. And also Kenyatta won one of the regional seats, but Greg and Yvonne and several other people, Randy, um, several other people um, have been trying to fight back and have their voices heard. And uh, we don't really know how many teachers would be opposed to this pension plan because they haven't done a, an actual mm -hmm. survey that in any way wasn't uh, unbiased. So I want you to hear from uh, some of the other folks on the call who ran for these seats. Two things that I think it's important for people in Frankfurt to know. And one is, I was reading the Herald Leader, yes, I subscribe, in addition to the Courier, where there was an article talking about, which there's been nothing really, basically, in, in the CJ, talking about House Bill 258. And uh, JCTA and KEA have not taken a position, but for somebody who has not taken a position, there was lots of complimentary language from Brent McKim. And the, but the thing that really stuck in my craw was he was talking about his this is a plan who has buy-in from all stakeholders. Really? Because no one asked the teachers, no one asked the classified staff. I mean, in other states, I'm with National Educators United, mm -hmm. which is like a national uh, union democracy group. And I start hearing about other unions who have general membership meetings more than once a decade, who when they do stuff like this, they ask their members, who have their members vote on endorsements. I mean, they have so much more democracy than we do. So when you hear them saying that JCTA is on board, please know that means the people who hang out on Bishop Lane are on board. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean anybody else is on board because we are not asked. Okay. And the second thing is, uh, thanks for to Kenyatta, we're having Friday meetings of the building reps on the return to school. But we have had, I mean, until Kenyatta and I brought this up, we weren't talking about filtration in buildings. I mean, that's the most important thing. Greg, do you want to chime in on the pension concern? Yeah, I'll just say quickly, uh, you know, shell games are successful with a lot of distractions and, and we seem to have uh, a lot of distractions going on with teachers right now. I. It seems to me you could appeal to some some old school honor. I mean, you're what you're doing is cowardly, or or practice your well, I well, I never, and kind of start to think kind of thing. But uh, uh, I I am just very I, I share Randy's frustration, and and uh, I can't. It is amazing to me to see the uh, brutality and speed at at which this is trying to be pushed through in the middle of everything else going. 
But we did forget one tiny matter, and I promise it's 60 seconds worth, Tina. And that is, you know, they talk about this new grouping for the, for the new hires, saying that doesn't have any debt. You know, we have the legacy debt over here, and they'll always be fine. Well, you know what? The original grouping was fine once upon a time. That's right. And there is no guarantee. I mean, there's nothing in there that says you, can't, you have to do the arc or somebody's throat gets slit, which is what yeah. it would take. Well, I mean, that was very much a question that I asked. What would keep uh, General Assembly for not putting money in the budget to cover this, you know, the 10% that the state's supposed to put in or the 10.75%. And, you know, it, it's something they're supposed to do by law. Well, obviously it didn't keep it from doing them from not doing it in the past. And then to compound my concern is with that, um, that extra, the extra fund, the, um, the, Stabilization reserve account, if that money, if it accumulates, if it can go over to the legacy funds and pay off debt, there is not going to be money to cover downfalls. And then this, or the state might say there's plenty in the stabilization reserve account. We're not going to make our required budget amount this year. So, yes, I agree completely that. Um, it, it may look all fine and dandy, but we know what can happen. Well, and we've learned from what's happened in other states, and we know that this is part of a privatization agenda to undermine public education. So even to even pretend like any of these proposals are made in good faith is, right. um, you know, and so as my uh, representative, I would like to encourage you to speak out when it comes back, because I, I have a feeling it's gonna come back. And say you've and it's heard gonna from, be horrible. Say you've heard from your constituents, you know, as a taxpayer, I want to make sure that this legacy debt doesn't get pushed down. And I I also don't want our district to be the ones to have to increase benefits for new teachers because the state is shirking on the deal. You know, this is gonna cost us. And then you've heard from teachers who are also your constituents that are not being reflected by what's coming out of the union uh, offices. So um, you know. Hopefully uh, you can share our testimony and let's fight this. You know, we fought it this far. We're not ready to throw in the towel now. So I agree. Let's thank Tina for being oh. on our call. Thank you, love. You're welcome. Bye, Tyra. Thank, thank you, you so much. much for listening All to right. It. Thank you, Tina. Reach out thank anytime. You on. You're welcome. And